0: hitting medical truth cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for join dr. Peter McCullough world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough report your life may depend on it
1: let's get real let's get loud On America loud talk radio this is the McCullough report
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough.
1: This is CPAC, the Conservative Party Action Committee, 2020 in Orlando, Florida, that took place this last week. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, there is a doctor in the house. Real doctor and I'm not alone and I'm not alone we've had two years of this and I can tell you as a citizen and as a doctor I have been disappointed very disappointed doctors in my circles have been disappointed I have learned five things about this infection and this pandemic crisis that have been learned by all doctors who are caring for COVID patients and managing through them. They are the following. First, this virus is spread from a symptomatic person to a susceptible person only. There is negligible asymptomatic spread. So that means number two, there should be, there should have never been any asymptomatic testing of large groups of people done on a routine basis. That means students, employees, people traveling were unnecessarily tested. The FDA does not clear any of the tests for this. The World Health Organization says don't do it, and none of the regulatory bodies endorse it. Testing is reserved for only acutely symptomatic individuals. That's it. We have to follow the clearance of these testing products for that reason. The third point, the third point is that once someone gets through the illness, that they have a degree of protection, a degree of immunity, natural immunity, that gives them robust and durable protection from serious outcomes of a second infection, which can now occur with the Omicron variant, which broke through natural immunity. So this is very important. How many of you in the room have been through COVID-19? Let's see a show of hands. 70%. 70%, you can be assured that you're safe, you're secure, you are free to go about and live your life with no restrictions, with no mandates, with no encumbrances. For you, this pandemic is effectively over with. It's over with. And because there are so many of you And so many of us who've been through the illness, the emergency phase of this pandemic is over with. It's over with. The emergency is gone. The crisis is resolved. There will be some residual cases and skilled doctors will be able to handle these cases with now an array of effective therapeutics that we have at our disposal. I can tell you that point number four is COVID-19, the illness, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, has always been treatable. It's always been treatable. And the best doctors using the best drugs at hand in combination have found ways of helping people through the illness to avoid two bad outcomes, hospitalization and death. And we needed leadership in Washington to say that, to say there are two bad outcomes, hospitalization and death, and that we're gonna bring the best and brightest doctors into Washington who are learning how to treat the illness and put together programs, protocols, and approaches to help our population get through the illness, particularly our seniors. Our seniors are the ones who have suffered with COVID-19. And what we saw out of Washington was completely unacceptable. We saw uh, a chill on any attempts to treat the virus early. We had headwinds in trying to use drugs in combination. We've even had a difficulty getting access to emergency uh, uh, authorized approved agents that are safe and effective in helping people get through the illness Uh, importantly, the monoclonal antibodies, which I've used in my practice for a year, and they're safe and effective, and they've been a great product of Operation Warp Speed. The fifth and final point, the fifth and final point is that the COVID-19 vaccines, as they exist today, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, outside the United States, AstraZeneca, we have more coming, but the ones that we have in the United States today are not sufficiently safe enough, nor are they effective enough, to have mandated upon us in our lives. And importantly, importantly, because people have in fact reported, and the CDC is holding over a million of these reports now, sadly over a million Americans have been injured as a result of COVID-19 vaccination, and sadly, thousands have died afterwards. We deserve and have always deserved a full, fair, and thorough external safety review of the vaccines. We haven't had it, and the stakeholders in Washington who have had governance over our pandemic response have failed miserably in vaccine safety and efficacy and the path forward but the virus has outmutated all of the reaches of the vaccines and in many ways, the virus has been in charge the entire time. Thankfully, we're down off the back end of the Omicron curve and I believe at this point in time, we can manage our way out of it. Final thought, you have a circle of medical freedom that you control and that's linked to your so- circle of social freedom and your circle of economic freedom. Don't let the circle of medical freedom get broken or fractured. Everything else will fracture. You cannot have something forced into your body against your will, whether it be a pill or an injection or any other medical procedure. The decision is in your hands. It's in your hands. Take it. And together, let's close out this crisis. Thank you. Well, there you heard it. Uh, That was my first speech at my first meeting of a political nature in my entire life, and that was a few hours before former President uh, Donald Trump. And uh, I can tell you, it was a tremendous experience to go to CPAC. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, Many of the senators and political leaders were surprised on the interest in the doctors who attended. Now, like I said, I wasn't alone. Uh, Dr. Oz of media fame, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, the vaccine developer, Dr. Uh, Angie Farella, a well-known pediatrician and vaccine expert, all attended. Dr. Brooke Miller, uh, the physician for Sean Spicer, who treated Sean Spicer when he got COVID, uh, they were all there. And I tell you, the media was around us and the buzz was tremendous. We gave many more interviews, and unfortunately, we don't have enough time to share those, but maybe at future McCullough Reports, I will. I did want to update you on uh, a very important paper, and this paper has generated more interest and more requests for interviews than I can uh, um, recall in quite some time. The first author is Dr. Marcus Alden, A-L-D-E-N, And it's from the Department of Clinical Sciences at Lund University in Malmo, Sweden. Title of the paper is Intracellular Reverse Transcription of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 Messenger RNA Vaccine, BNT162b2, in vitro in human liver cell line. And what this lab has demonstrated now is that the vaccine, the Messenger RNA vaccine, when Uh, given to human liver cells in uh, a laboratory setting does reverse transcribe. So what that means is that uh, the nucleic acids that reverse code to the messenger RNA uh, appear to do so in the cytoplasm of the cell. And then uh, they move into the nucleus. And this paper is at the step where the code for the spike protein after exposure to the vaccine is found in the human nucleus. This is very important because the understanding uh, up until this paper was that the sets of vaccines, the genetic vaccines, uh, the messenger RNA vaccines stayed in the cytoplasm only, and they produced spike protein only. Uh, We are working on issues with them themselves. How long does the messenger RNA last? How long is the spike protein produced? How long does the spike protein stay in the body? Uh, But we did not have proof nor was concern put forward by the manufacturers that in fact the vaccines would reverse transcribe and DNA would go into the nucleus. The great concern is that this is a permanent installation of code for the spike protein into human DNA, the human genome. And if that's the case, uh, the code could be passed from uh, a parent cell to a daughter cell and then uh, forevermore we have the code for the spike protein. And if that is dormant and there's no expression of the spike protein, then it won't have an impact on the cell. However, if there is constitutive production, that means a low-level steady production, or if there's inducible production, meaning that something turns on a uh, burst of production of the spike protein that occurs you know, either months or years in the future, we could be in trouble in both circumstances because we know the spike protein is pathogenic. It causes damage to the brain, the heart, the bone marrow, the immunologic system. We know it causes blood clotting, uh, tips the balance towards blood clotting in every application. And so there's great concern now. This paper has raised great concern. Uh, I've been cautious about it in interviews and uh, I was asked uh, this week on Dan Bongino Radio what this means, uh, particularly for people who've taken multiple injections. Dan indicated that uh, both his, him and his wife have uh, diseases, uh, uh, chronic diseases of which they would you know, have be indicated to have multiple injections. And I told him I simply don't know. At this point in time, uh, finding it in the nucleus is very unsettling. And the next steps are to demonstrate chromosomal integration, uh, and then basically replication through um, cell division, and then there will have to be checks on whether or not indeed it's expressed, uh, constitutive or inducible expression and in production of uh, spike protein. And if it's in the DNA, then it'll make uh, a human messenger RNA, and the human messenger RNA, uh, in a very perverted way, in a sense, will be making the uh, the spike protein. So we're going to have to take the next steps. I imagine this is going to spur a whole series of uh, laboratory activities to quickly figure this out. Many are starting to get very concerned about the vaccines already. The acute safety profile is of tremendous concern. But now, uh, this long-term ramifications of reverse transcription are going to have to be uh, fully evaluated. And the first step is just to validate this laboratory process to indeed... Confirm that it, it's it's real and it happens in the hands of multiple laboratory investigators. You know, one development I wanted to let my listeners uh, understand is that uh, I've been engaged in working on a book titled um, "Courage to Face COVID-19" while battling the biopharmaceutical complex, and uh, the lead author is award-winning true crime author John Leake, and John. Uh, is from Dallas. He uh, went to school at Boston University and then Oxford and has lived in Europe for a very long time in Vienna. He's back in Dallas to work on this book. And John and I had a chance to drop in and visit uh, Christy Lee at the Cloud Hub uh, Media Hub at CPAC. And I wanted to play uh i wanted to play this uh, brief clip first the famous story of the doctor who saw a correlation between um assisting with childbirth and washing hands oh, before Semmelweis. thank you
3: it's so hard for me to remember all these names but yeah i mean he was ridiculed as well didn't he even end up in an insane as that he did
4: so i i actually lived in vienna for many years and i i was in, i was interested in the Semmelweis story i even sketched out a screenplay as sort of a drama of it yes he was observed that a friend of his in anatomy class got cut by a scalpel and then became very, very ill and died. And then he realized in the maternity ward of the university clinic women in childbed were having a sort of similar syndrome. So he had the brilliant idea hey maybe the anatomy students should wash their hands before they examine the women in the maternity clinic. And nowadays we think well mean of course right but back then the state of medical knowledge they took
1: it as an insult which is what you see happening but think about the parallelisms the very first time I saw one of my senior patients get COVID my initial instincts were treat it now before it gets severe right now it's mild they say doctor I just have a little congestion I said we can knock it out. The virus is replicating. It has not tipped off the sequence of inflammation and blood clotting yet. If we can knock it out early, we have a chance. So that gives you uh, an idea of uh, the types of historical parallelisms, and and John Leake, I think, himself, is just simply in a class uh, of his own in terms of his ability to relate history uh, to modern times. And so the uh, story of Ignaz Semmelweis in Austria, the doctor who discovered that handwashing reduced the spread of microbes, uh, in fact, was castigated. And uh, he uh, had an absolutely miserable end to his career. Uh, hopefully, the doctors who have innovated and learned how to treat COVID-19 won't meet a similar fate. Uh, but clearly, The innovation that we would treat the virus early, we would take these risks, but to help patients avoid hospitalization and death, um, the fair evaluation of the vaccines, finding them not sufficiently safe, not sufficiently effective. Boy, has this upset the apple cart in terms of pandemic response. Well, I have a wonderful show. I did receive uh, a whole multitude of music suggestions, and I went through them carefully, and I wanted to bring one forward to you, and this music su- suggestion uh, is by the original artist, and I, I always think that's nice when the artist themselves uh, comes forward and they say, you know, Dr. McCullough, uh, can, you, can you listen to this piece that I put together? I think it, I think it is timely or it's, uh, uh, you know, in a sense, has a message for the day, I wanted to bring this forward and, uh, and have you take a listen. This is John Guvia, and uh, this is Psalm 2, Why Do the Nations Rage?
3: Against the Lord and is annoyed anointed, saying we can't do anything. Has the world gone crazy? As I said, you're watching, are we headed for a judgment day? As the blind, the blind, they refuse to listen to the word. Today, tell me why do the nations rage? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? They, kings of the earth, set themselves against the Lord and His anointed, saying, We can't do anything. To the people, imagine a oh, thing, thing. Kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and His anointed, saying, "We can do anything. Do, they, they, thought they shall pray." Uh, to the people, imagine a oh, thing, thing. Kings of the earth. Set themselves against the Lord that is anointed, saying we can't do anything.
1: Psalm 2, Why Do the Nations Rage? by John Guvia. And I tell you, that is absolutely terrific. It's almost as like a Gordon Lightfoot or an Irish brogue. I, I really like that, that basically zone that that piece took us into. Now we have time for at least one more trailer, and I wanted to to share this with you. This is from Simon Korolski and his brothers, and uh, they um, are basically singing in uh, in Greek, but uh, they are absolutely wonderful, and so many people have given positive reviews. They do uh, take the view that we are in spiritual time, and they took the time to, to send this to me. So let's have a listen just for a few seconds. Великий
3: чудный день.
1: Well, that's Simon Korolsky. Boy, I hope I have the language right on this. So I'm sure some of our listeners will sort this out if this is uh, Greek, Turkish, or one of the Eastern European languages. I can tell you all the text was in Cyrillic, and uh, it was uh, certainly great to hear their voices and, and such a spiritual uh, soulfulness uh, that they give forward. They're singing on a rocky coast. Looks like it's looking out over the Mediterranean or the Baltic. So have a listen. Let me know. Send me some feedback on, on, uh, on the origins of that as you investigate music and music as it relates to the COVID-19. Now let's pick up on an interview that Dell Bigtree had on the High Wire with Edward Dowd, former BlackRock portfolio manager, and they are in the middle of a discussion. About what Edward Dowd, who is a well respected financial specialist, has learned about the Pfizer program on COVID 19 vaccination and the regulatory environment and what that means to markets.
4: Fired just six hours later, so they obviously went back to her bosses and Pfizer, probably, which is really, really uh, a terrifying development. Right. And, you know, some of the people who wanted to poo poo her. Um Story said, "Well,
0: it's only a thousand patients. It's not a big deal." Well, first of all, I don't care. They were wrapped up into the forty-four thousand. But the way the math works, in the if you look at the uh, the trial um, that they calculated the efficacy on the actual ninety-five percent lie efficacy, which has all already been proven, it's a lie. Right. But they said they said in the vaccine group there were eight people. And by the way, it was only a twenty-eight day study. Another ridiculous thing. So. Yeah. In those 28 days, eight of the vaccine group got COVID. 164 of the placebo group got uh, got COVID. So that's how they calculated the number. Well, if it's an unblinded study and bias is introduced, all you have to do is take 75 of those 1,000 in her just her group alone, and move it over to the uh, vaccine group. That's a 50% efficacy. All 164. Uh, it's 0% efficacy and, you know, look, where there's smoke, there's fire, what they covered up her site, they fired her. If you don't think other sites were doing this, you know,
4: I got another, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll sell you, you know, like selling ice to an Eskimo so do you think those things are going to as they have to release this data what are you expecting or what are you thinking we're going to see i mean obviously we have a product that didn't come anywhere near ninety five percent now that we have the benefit of having giving it to million hundreds of millions of people around the world uh... Efficacy, efficacy dropping within weeks after first shot weeks after second shot third shot seems useless fourth shot being used in israel um, do you think we're going to see evidence of this inside of that control uh, that we haven't seen? Uh, absolutely, un- unless they redact everything.
0: But I, I think the uh, data is going to look ridiculous, number one. Number two, um, you know, someone, uh, because of my uh, notoriety, a lot of smart scientists have been talking to me. And people from the regulatory, that you know, work for pharmaceutical companies guiding people, through the FDA regulatory process. And someone pointed out to me, there's probably a crime that's been committed by the FDA, and that's uh, what they call uh, uh, BMO audits, B-I-M-O. After a clinical trial, you're supposed to go in and actually do an audit on some random sites of the actual records, the electronic records, sure mm. that you know they didn't just make up the data. Right. In fact, they didn't even do those audits. And uh, if that can be proven, that's fraud on the government's part as well. And, you know, look, the hiding of the data suggests something really went wrong. And there's um, what I call institutional imperative
4: uh, wholesale corruption at the FDA that just happened over time. Do you think this is leading to sort of hiding vaccine deaths, things like that? I mean, is it, and what happens if our government is involved in literally hiding what would essentially be murder if it's known and not being disclosed to people taking the product?
0: Well, that, that's part of the problem, right? So the government's in on it. Who's going to come save us? And, you know, look, the wow. evidence is bombing at this point. Um,
4: I don't know if you saw the, the story out of Germany yesterday. I mean, it was quite shocking. Well, you, you brought that to our attention as we were just reaching out to you to bring you on. So go ahead and break it because I think this is gigantic. What Tell us what this story is. But bottom line is, you know, this is a
0: global fraud. I don't, it doesn't just reside in the U.S. So um, a German healthcare insurance company went public yesterday and said that basically um, the uh, government is underreporting the number of vaccine side effects. Forget deaths. They're not talking about deaths, just side effects. And they, you know, ran the numbers on a huge amount of their, you know, their own people, and they came up with an underreporting factor of um, 10 times. So they think they think there's actually 10 times more of the side effects that the government is, 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 is uh, letting people believe. Um, and they said, Uh, We had to release this because normally, you know, you would keep this data to yourself and just do some pricing. But because it's so ridiculous, they said we had to release this to the public
4: because it's the ethical thing to do. Okay. My understanding is it's about roughly 10 or 11 million people in their insurance program and something over 250,000. They, they ran codes, right? We ICD codes looking at what types of things are, are, are the people we're paying for, what are they claiming or what is what are they going to the hospital for? And they found, you know, hundreds of thousands of them were getting codes for vaccine injury. Uh, and this is all brought, you brought this to our attention yesterday. I'm just sort of, for the people that are, are just now uh, hearing about this, that's gigantic. And what they basically said, we're talking, if that's just in our insurance group, then our government is looking at millions of people being injured by this vaccine as somebody better do something about this. These numbers are, are off the hook. Let me put let me put some,
0: uh, um, some numbers there. Um, they imputed just by their own sample that, in the, in the you know in, in Germany it's two and a half to three million uh, side effect injuries or complaints wow. okay that's yeah. th- that's th- Germany's got 83 million people that's 3.6 percent of the population Wow so, so and that th- you know that doesn't account for the people who didn't re- report side effects didn't go to the doctor but just kinda... or haven't
4: had a side effect
0: yet right right and uh, they uh, you know so if you do that math that's one in 25 people in Germany had a uh, adverse reaction. One in 25. No drug's ever been approved on that nonsense before.
1: I can tell you that was revealing, and I think everybody ought to go on Rumble and search uh, Edward Dow, Dowd, D-O-W-D, former BlackRock portfolio manager, someone who has absolutely no conflict of interest, no reason... To get in this discussion outside of a concern that things have gone drastically bad, he's brought forward a report out of Germany that potentially 3.6 percent of the entire German population has been injured acutely by the vaccines, and they're generating healthcare codes indicating that in the German healthcare system. Well, we have an absolute wonderful backside of the McCullough report. And I bring to the microphone for the first time, Dr. Flavio Cattagiani, and he's an MD-PhD who's currently in academic practice in Brasilia. And he is, I believe, the world's expert on what's going on with vaccine injuries in the heart, myocarditis. He is a multidimensional physician, young man, and I can tell you he is on fire. You're going to love this interview as he brings forward powerful data about what's happening with COVID-19, vaccination, heart injury, and sudden death in athletes. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.
2: It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code Out Loud at genesisfogger.com slash outloud.
1: Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I want to put in a good word for Healthy Cell and this wonderful product line. Go to the HealthyCell.com website. So it's Healthy Cell all together and utilize everything that they have. They have not only wonderful products, but they have wonderful information that can help you navigate your life and understand a lot more. And I think one of the best sites on the website is the blog section and go to the section on sleep. And there are topics that are so practical. They address, why am I so thirsty at night? Uh, The truth about sleep and memory, the negative effects of screen time on sleep, uh, the dangers of prescription uh, sleeping medications, long-term effects on sleep deprivation, and then nine tips to boost your immune system uh, uh, while you're traveling and trying to get sleep along the way. The Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement is in a form of a gel pack. So that means the micronutrients and vitamins are absorbed instantly through a microgel technology. You don't have to wait for a big chalky pill to be digested in your GI tract. And it means you can take it uh, basically right before bed, which is wonderful. You don't have to take it ahead of time or plan. Uh, it's literally as you're, uh, as your head is about to hit the pillow, uh, you can take the REM sleep supplement, brush your teeth, go to bed as you normally would, and then get a deep and satisfying sleep. And it's not just uh, what's called REM sleep pressure. It's not the pressure to go to sleep so much as it is the quality of sleep. And I just had patients this week in the office say, wow, this supplement really does work. They get a better quality sleep. And when you get a better quality sleep, you feel more well-rested and energetic the next day. Very importantly, there are a a lesser degree of stress hormones and other uh, adverse factors that's happening with your body so then you have a better day and then as you have a better day you move into the next night you get a better night sleep and it becomes a positive cycle so you know restlessness sleeplessness is a cycle and then getting high quality sleep over and over again, that's also a cycle. So what I tell my patients is don't just do this one time, do it consistently every night and do it day after day, week after week, month after month to get the body in a cycle. The body likes to get into a routine cycle. If you're going to use any type of micronutrient or supplement or any prescription medication, using it on a regular basis has a far better effect than using it sporadically. So give it a try. Go to HealthyCell.com and enter in the promo code OUTLOUD. Get 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to invite to the show Dr. Flavio Cattagiani. Dr. Cattagiani is from Brazil. He's currently in practice in Brasilia, Brazil, but he's got a storied career in academic medicine. He received his uh, medical degree, uh, which is common in Brazil. They go through a prolonged period after high school and at the university. Federale in Brasilia. Brasilia. He went on to receive uh, a PhD and master's degree at the same university. He, for a long time, uh, was in Sao Paulo and uh, a specialist in uh, sports medicine, endocrinology, and um, the influence of uh, hormones uh, on the body, in particular in sports, um, various types of uh, athletic um, applications. And then COVID-19 hit, and uh, like me, he jumped into COVID-19 as a medical specialist. It's taken him back to Brasilia, where he's made great contributions. And I've asked him to come to the show today uh, to update us on uh, a very important paper he's just brought forward in the literature, and he'll explain more about it. Uh, Flavio, welcome to the McCullough Report.
5: Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, for explaining a little bit more about our theory on why the, the, the vaccines may be leading to myocarditis and sudden deaths.
1: Yeah, well, why don't you give us some uh, background and in, in context as someone who is, uh, you know, you're active in sports medicine, you're well-known uh, in the field of sports medicine. What are you seeing out there since the advent of the vaccines?
5: So we are observing a reduction in their performance in many of these athletes that undergo the MR. And, they, and also the vector vaccine. So th- here in Brazil, we have Pfizer and have AstraZeneca. Astro is equivalent of Jensen and Pfizer is just like moderna. And these guys, some of them are starting to complain of reduction in performance, but that's not what called my attention. What really called my attention were their differences, the changes that they were they are facing after the vaccines.
1: And um, I imagine the main sport you're looking at is uh, football, which Americans call soccer, because we know how crazy Brazilian uh, Brazil Brazilians are regarding soccer and the five stars on the Brazilian uh, jerseys. Um, but can you tell us what's the range of, of sporting activities that you're worried about?
5: So basically, all sports that require high intensity. So those uh explosive ones just like stop and go just like soccer or basketball or volleyball we're known for volleyball as well but my particular athletes they go hift high intensity high intensity functional training also known as crossfit so brazil is the second largest country on crossfit as well so that's where i studied and these athletes present a particular increase on catecholamines catecholamines are Hormones that include uh, dopamine, noradrenaline, and adrenaline. So these athletes, they experiment an increase, a physiological adaptation in the increase not only in, in their response to stress or to exercise, but also when they are resting. So their nocturnal production of catecholamines are higher than the paired population of non-athletes. And how does this relate to?
1: Myocarditis and, and cardiomyopathy.
5: Yeah, what really caught my attention was that first of all, athletes were being the most affected, especially when they were under the highest stress. We call exercise as a stress because it causes a, uh, an acute stress in the body. And the first autopsies that showed a clear atypical myocarditis uh, induced by catecholamines, noradrenaline and adrenaline. And then I linked, look, goodness, these are athletes or male, young males. We never had a chance to check the profile of these young males that uh, that present myocarditis, whether they are physically active or not. I never saw. The, I have three cases on my own. All three of them were either athletes or they were t- using uh, Lysdexamphetamine, which is Vivens, that uh, also is on uh, increases the noradrenaline production. So I, I just joined, okay, I know that athletes produce more noradrenaline and adrenaline than the average population. I know that males produce more adrenaline than females. I know that youngers produce more adrenaline than olders. Not only these, but also this population of young males and young athletes, male athletes, they also have a higher sensitivity to these hormones. So, and then I started to research for what is happening after the vaccine. So not only these autopsies show that this uh, these people had a catecholamine-induced myocarditis that in these cases led to death. But also we noticed that well after the vaccine or even under the, the RNA of the SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus that leads to COVID-19, uh, induces the conversion of dopamine into noradrenaline. So it enhances the noradrenaline production by the increase of conversion from uh, dopamine. Not only this, these athletes, when they get vaccinated, their catecholamine peak during training gets higher than before the vaccination and higher compared to to non-vaccinated athletes. So we have all the findings going through going to the same direction, showing that somehow this catecholamine production—it's a dysfunctional hyperproduction. It's a sort of a dysfunctional hyper. Nor other states, we could say that uh, may be the trigger that is leading to these uh, series of myocarditis. That I believe that is still being underreported.
1: Now, is it possible, Flavio, that um, besides the the lipid nanoparticles and the um, the you know the deposition of the messenger RNA into into heart muscle cells, pericytes and other cells, that, that there could be an adrenal involvement, that um, the lipid nanoparticles could uh, travel to the adrenal glands or along the sympathetic chain, because so many doctors are reporting patients in general after vaccination having uh, sinus tachycardia, fluctuations in blood pressure, et cetera.
5: Oh, Brendan, I've completely forgot. You, uh, this was great that you mentioned that. So the adrenal glands, uh, just to explain, it's divided into the cortex and medulla. So they are from different origins, but together they are responsible to the fight or flight uh, response to stressful situations. So the cortex produces cortisol, among other hormones, And the medulla produces noradrenaline and adrenaline. Why am I saying that? Because the adrenal glands are the sites where the uh, the message RNA and the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 their productions increase a long time unlike the other places. So the other places you see a peak and then start a decrease whereas in the adrenals you see a progressive production of these proteins so that was really concerning uh, because we know that uh, this production, and this is the first part. The second is this nanolipid particles, they could theoretically, so what I am saying here, I'm just hypothesizing, this is just speculation, but they could uh, impair the production of the steroids because it could confound with the cholesterol, which is For those who do not know, cholesterol is the fundamental molecule that is used to produce the masculine hormones such as testosterone or the female hormones, like progesterone, estrogen, uh, DHEA, and all these, and cortisol, and many other uh, critical hormones for our body functioning. So, we are not aware of the long term impairments that we may face. So this is only, I think, this is only the peak of an iceberg. I think you're right, but you're putting together the the combination
1: of vaccine-induced myocarditis, which uh, there are over 200 papers in the peer-reviewed literature. We know the spike protein uh, incites inflammation in the heart. Clearly, autopsies uh, by, you know, in key papers have shown heart inflammation but you are bringing out the important point of uh, a hyperadrenergic state, increases in catecholamines, and uniquely, this happens in athletes with this start, 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 stop um, type of um, uh, you know training style and you know what the sport demands. But also the fact that the vaccines themselves, the lipid nanoparticles, almost certainly go to the adrenal glands, and there are also concurrent reports of. Uh, hypertensive crisis of tachycardia, almost like a posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, a POTS-like syndrome. It's not well described uh, in in vaccine injury cases, but the fact that they're combined together, that may be the reason why we're seeing rates of myocarditis cardiac death, which we think is occurring um, at extraordinary levels. Now, what type of practical approach would you have let's say for an athlete, let's say you had the next player for Flamingo who uh, took a vaccine and now has some chest discomfort or notices uh, an elevation in heart rate, resting heart rate,
5: what would you do as, uh, clinically? So we are facing a completely unusual situation here. So we will highly depend on the level of assessments that I will be able to, have to do with these athletes uh in a, in a beautiful world where I could do whatever I felt like, I would undergo a uh, 24-hour AKG halter, AKG pre and post vaccination. I would follow up their troponin, CK and B particles. I would undergo their nocturnal urinary catecholamines and metanephrines. And all these hormones and all the adrenal profile from both cortex, including cortisol, cortisone, and the intermediate hormones, as well as dopamine or adrenaline and adrenaline in the serum, and as well the metanophrines in the serum, and also the 24-hour urine, I would divide into 12-hour nocturnal as well. And all these exams I would... uh, perform them before and after the vaccination for all athletes, and try to detect uh, as early as possible, because I I really think that these cases could be predictable. I, I think there's the end of the world, the world. So these cases of sudden deaths, to me, from a pathophysiological perspective, they're just the end of the world. So it's very likely that we could be able to detect these cases. Also. Maybe uh, more close, uh, closer monitoring with those uh, trackers, those, uh, the watches, their trackers, checking the heart rate variability as well, as well as other signs of dysfunction of the autonomous uh, nervous system. Could also be predictable, uh, predictable to detect uh, these cases of sudden deaths or myocarditis. Uh, I would get a percentage of these athletes. I would go a uh, heart MRI before and after vaccination, just for learning purposes. Since we're not going, since we're not doing any sort of intervention, this wouldn't require ethics committee approval. So that's what I would do in a perfect world. But that's not we. That's not what we have. Okay. Well,
1: I guess what you're describing is a
5: pretty comprehensive evaluation.
1: So I wanted our listeners to understand that you know things are emerging. Uh, Dr. Flavio is uh, considered the world's authority in this area. Many cardiologists are following his lead in in general internists. I know myself, I am also stepping it up. I wasn't getting cardiac MRIs originally. I was relying on echo and the clinical exam. I've been impressed by multiple studies now showing the MRI is the go-to imaging. And then the biomarkers, I've largely restricted them to cardiac biomarkers, but you've convinced me that we need to take a broader-based approach, particularly with the urinary catecholamines. And our lab has um, a very broad-based urinary catecholamine panel, which includes metanephrines. But I want to say there's over two dozen metabolites of catecholamines measurable in the urine. To give us an idea if this physiologic state is indeed uh, occurring, Um, what do you think is the pathway forward here? Is there going to be a continued risk period with each successive vaccination? Or uh, do you think that once an athlete uh, demonstrates some of this adverse uh, pathophysiology, we should stop uh, the vaccines altogether in that person?
5: Well, first of all, I think we should stop this... uh... There's RNA SARS-CoV-2 vaccines right now, I think we should no longer use them. So that's the first, very, the very first step we should take. We have a complete compi- compiling argumentation to demonstrate that we should never use in any athlete this type of vaccine again. So that's the very first step. Second, I know they are all the time they are being asked to keep vaccinating third, fourth, fifth doses. And we know that the the higher is the number of the doses that they take, the higher will be the risk. This is very well established. So my approach would be, first of all, damage control. So maybe some of these athletes may be benefited benefited from beta blockers, maybe some from alpha blockers as well. On the other hand, uh, we could have uh, issues related to their performance with the use of these drugs. Uh, second, uh, I would sh- wouldn't would stop following them up because the only answer we know is that we don't know anything about what will happen in the future. Uncertainties are the in- correct answer. Anyone who claims that there is a sa- long-term safety profile is lying. So we ne- we don't know and hopefully we are wrong regarding the long-term effects. I really hope. And on my patients and regular patients, approximately 35 to 40% of my regular patients on my clinical practice are physically active. I have approximately 2,000 patients. And I am, I got with the health insurances, uh, sort of an agreement for uh, which I can order whatever I, th- I think it is uh, understandable that could demonstrate uh changes and abnormalities so I am assessing my patients from my clinical practice very comprehensively so uh, approximately 120 uh, blood tests and more comprehensive cardiac tests as well that they are undergoing the next 12 months so this will come up to show some new and I'm already seeing some abnormalities that I wasn't seeing before.
1: Well, that's terrific. I tell you what, you've given us a lot of insight into this emerging problem. I just have one last question for you. I have to ask because people ask me it all the time. We have been so impressed with uh, the montage of deaths that have occurred on the field of European athletes and some South American athletes, um, but we almost never see it in North American athletes. So U.S. uh, pro football, pro basketball, baseball, hockey. What do you think's going on? Is it just that our sports are so much different than soccer or football? Uh, What do you think's happening?
5: Oh, this, um, I think we should go for further analysis, including not only type of sport, but quantity, quality, and increasing the, there's an important factor. This is the increase in the volume training, volume intensity. So some of these athletes from, from in Europe and South America, they kept complete, completely off training for more than one year. So that's the reason why it explains why there were only two, two sudden deaths in 2020, the lowest in their history in the last 15 years, and they came back again suddenly. Whereas uh, players in the U.S. they never really stopped training. That's the major, the biggest difference I can see between this game, this players. But there are several other factors involved in this stuff. Uh, the supplements, how how strict are their follow-up for doping, whether they use testosterone concurrently, uh, because that we know that androgens play an important role in enhancing catecholamine actions. So that may also explain why males have more myocarditis than females. Um, so there are many factors, And in sports medicine, you need to to adjust for so many variables, depending on the type of sport, how long the person has uh, practiced that sport. Conditioning effect is sport dependent, sport specific. So for example, if you're doing weightlifting and then you go for soccer, you may be completely conditioned for weightlifting, but then you go for playing soccer completely unconditioned. So there are multiple factors that can bias our analysis. But probably the fact that they turned suddenly, they came back suddenly from, from the complete resting for more than one year, at least in Brazil, and I know that the same occurred in some countries in Europe, uh, may explain because the level of increase, the speed of increase in the training also leads to some dysfunctional adaptations in under, without vaccination. I can imagine that the person not training and then not only restart training, but restart training right right after getting vaccinated. I think this mix can be really dreadful.
1: Well, I tell you, you've given me so much to think about and you've given me some framework to try to interpret certainly the male-female differences, catecholamines, androgen, sports types. It's clear we have a, a major signal that something very bad is going on in our Uh, athletes, and almost certainly those taking the vaccines. We're going to have to leave it here, uh, Dr. Flavio, but thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Oh, thank you. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.